I want you to take your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 17. You know, there are some people who teach that you um, uh, have to persevere in the faith. You know, that's just one of the requirements. After you get saved, you've got to persevere. You're saved by grace. Yeah, we all know that. You're saved by grace. But if you don't persevere, well, then you weren't saved to start with. So, of course, you're going to have to persevere to prove that you really were saved. And if you don't, then that's a sign you weren't really saved. That's just what they call uh, backloading. Some do a front load and tell you you got to do all these things to get saved. And then there's others who teach you you have to do these things to stay saved or to prove you're saved. Both of them are no good. It still works for salvation. And uh, I was reading a few of the comments that people have made on some of the um, uh, sermons that I've got on uh, YouTube about Calvinism. And they'll come on there and say, is that Yankee Arnold? He doesn't understand Calvinism one bit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I thought to myself, why you, you, you're like a drunk that's in denial? In other words, you say you believe this, but then when somebody confronts you with it, well, I don't believe that. And then you say, well, then explain what you do believe. And what they explain, what they do believe, is the same thing you just told them that they did believe. And they say, you don't believe it. And you want to just reach out and just slap her jaws a little bit. In Christian love, of course. But here in the book of Luke, it uh, makes a simple little statement. <laughs> it says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. I was going to preach a sermon one time called The Sin of the Mayor's Wife. Wouldn't that be a good title? Put it in the newspaper, The Sin of the Mayor's Wife. And uh, I bet there might be some people that says, I know the mayor's wife. I'm coming out to hear that sermon. But I'm not going to do it. Well, I might do it. I'm tempted to do it. And, of course, who do you think I'm talking about? Lot's wife. I was going to preach a sermon called uh, Seven Ducks in the Water. Seven Ducks in the Water. Now, that's a good sermon. Because remember when Naaman, he had to go down into the water seven times? The one that had leprosy? He had to make seven ducks in the water. He had to dunk himself seven times. <laughs> yeah, I know I did. Seven ducks in the water. Now, let me see, let me see if I can get this straight now. This, this is a good one. Now, I've got to see if I can remember this just right. <laughs> uh, there's these three people that uh, died, and they, they went to heaven. And um, anyway, they were told, whatever you do, don't step on the ducks. Just don't step on the ducks. <laughs> i got a hunch I want to murder this one. Anyway, this, uh, they were doing fine for about the first couple of years. Then finally, one of the guys stepped on a duck. The punishment was God brought over the ugliest woman he had ever seen in his life. I mean, she looked like she'd been baptized in lemon juice. And, uh, you know, she, she, she looked like homemade sin. And she was, she was so ugly. She was so ugly. And says, Don, you're going to have to go around heaven with this here, this woman you know, for the next 10, 15 years. The next guy thought, well, the last thing I'm going to do is step on a duck. So a couple more years passed by, and guess what he did? Stepped on a duck. So here comes the next ugliest woman. I mean, she was, really, she was worse than the other one. And so he had to walk around heaven with that ugly woman for the rest of like 10, 15 years. And so this lady, she says, well, the last thing I'm going to do is step on a duck. And a couple years pass, and lo and behold, 
Here comes out the most beautiful, handsomest man she'd ever seen in her life. And, uh, and so the Lord told her that she was going to have to walk around with this handsome man. And uh, she said, okay. So they started walking off and she says, I don't, I don't understand this. I, I just don't, under, I, I don't get this. He says, I don't either. He said, all I did was step on a duck. Anyway, that was a Boaz special. Is there a message somewhere today? There's a point to this, but I, I just don't know what it is. Surely, surely you can find something to put it with so that it makes sense, you know. So anyway, what's this? <laughs> All right, we're moving right along. Here in the book of Luke, look in chapter 17, look in verse 33. Right after it says, remember Lot's wife. And then it says, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Because she sought to save her life. But she looked back, and that was the wrong way to look. And she um, turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, Betty will look back one time, and she backed right into a telephone pole. So you have to be very careful of what you're doing now. When he makes this statement, he says, and whosoever shall lose his life, see the next words, shall preserve it. It's like sometimes living your life, and I know with the women sometimes, they probably think, you know, they get up some morning, and at the end of the day, you know, that was a total waste of makeup. In other words, nothing happened, and you got all beautified for nothing. Do you always want to get beautified and look good just for yourself or because you know somebody else is going to see you. Now, on Saturdays, because I know that nobody's going to come by the church. So I don't shave. And I look a little on the rough side. And sometimes I wear jeans, tennis shoes, and just a shirt hanging out because, you know, nobody's going to come by. <laughs> you know, just as soon as I do that, there comes somebody at the door. And uh, I think... I got, I didn't get dressed up for no reason at all. <laughs> and there was a reason I should have, I should have cleaned up. And sometimes I think, here we were over in Israel. And I thought, I got to look clean shaven. Betty says, Yankee, remember your image, your image. Sometimes I want to take my image out. And I looked over at Boaz, our guide. And he hadn't shaved for three days. <laughs> but I got to clean shade. But anyway, when you're talking about saving your life, it's like, can I preserve it for later? Preserve my life for later. Because we know that every day we live is a day that we, we don't get back. But it's a day that can be profitable because it can be preserved and I get it back. So every day you serve the Lord is not a day wasted. It's a day that's been preserved for later. Because God's going to reward you later for what you did that day. So that day is kept in its preserved. My mama, God bless her, you know, she, um, she might have sold a little, you know, booze on the side. Okay. But she also did a lot of preserving. We raised, she raised everything. She canned everything. And she had this big old pressure cooker. And it had that little whistle on it. It builds up steam inside of that thing. And they've got 
the stuff inside of it, and they used a lot of pressure proof. And once in a while, you'll hear about it exploding, though, and people getting killed from it, lid blowing off. Now, that never happened to my mom. But she did have a, uh, a washing machine that, um, well, it was, um, well, it had an electric cord to it. And uh, we didn't live in many houses that had electricity, so it doesn't work too good. But this one day, she had it and had it plugged in, and she was washing clothes. It had that old ringer type. And so she was down there washing the clothes and getting, and her hair got too close to those rollers. And next thing you know, it didn't take that much to start rolling up her hair. And she started screaming. Well, I'm, I'm just a little kid. I'm just listening to my mama scream. I don't know what to do. Finally, my older sister, Lizzie, she ran over there, and she hit the top of that thing, and it popped open. It stops, and it, it's okay. But my mama thought she was going to lose all of her hair. And, you know, it, it can be devastating. But you've got all these things that can happen to you. But to be preserved so that the day is not lost, and you have something that's going to mount to something on down the road. So I believe that this is a little bit of what the Lord is talking about, is that I don't have to waste this day. Not just that I spend it, but the Bible talks about you're spending this day, but you're spending time, and you're supposed to get something for it. So every day we should strive to get something for the time spent this day. So God allowed me to live today. So if I live it to fulfill the lust of the flesh, well, I don't get anything preserved. I don't get rewarded for that. I haven't secured anything. But every day that I live for the Lord, I am preserving time down the road. And one of these days, we're going to be with the Lord. So I would like you just to write or underline those two little words, shall preserve it. And so there's, like my mom said, she, she would preserve she, every kind of fruit there was. I mean, beans and butter beans, string beans and even corn. I mean, you name it. My, my mom was able to do it. And lo and behold, can you believe this? My wife never preserves. But my daughter does everything. My daughter, she, that girl, is, she is one fantastic woman. She can cook anything. Now, some people don't like deer meat. But if you ate her deer meat, you'd love deer meat. Because she can make it taste just better than steak. And I'm talking about she knows how to cook. What would you say? She can preserve it, buddy. If she brings it down here, it's not preserved very long. Every time I go up to Georgia, she serves me some uh, venison, and I love it. But anyway, look at another verse. Look in uh, chapter 10 of Matthew. Matthew in chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, he has told his disciples uh, to go into uh, various cities and preach the gospel and so forth. And uh, he had just told him right before that to, um, well, it says about, the Lord looked upon the multitude, and he was moved with compassion upon them. And says, when the shepherd is, uh, you know, smitten, then the sheep will scatter. And he also said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his vineyard. And that's the one thing that we're always striving for. Why do I want people to go to college? So they can go into the vineyard. So they can go into the harvest. You want some more people out there winning people to Christ. And so if there's anything that people ought to learn how to do, more than anything else in the world... Learn how to win a person to Christ, to talk to him about the Lord. So chapter 10 talks about this, and he warns them about not being afraid. Because fear is a success crusher. It keeps you from being successful. Fear can destroy you. Because 
You're afraid to talk to somebody about the Lord. That's the most curious thing in the world. Some people have to do anything. I'll do anything. Just don't let me talk to somebody about the Lord. Stop and think. You can talk about football. You can talk about politics. If I say, could you come up here on the platform and just give me a five-minute testimony of how precious God is to you? What? And they'll go into cardiac arrest. Now, they can talk to anybody about anything else in the world, but just getting in front of somebody and talking about the Lord. Oh, that's a no-no. They'd rather die than that. And yet, it doesn't kill you to talk about anything else, but it's amazing what it can do to you because the devil works on you on that. So here in Matthew, in chapter 10, now there's three things that he tells them in uh, chapter 10 about fear not, fear not, fear not. You know, what people can say, what people can do, (laughs) and not being afraid that you're not worth anything. A lot of people just get to the place sometimes where they just, I don't have any value. I mean, I'm worthless. No, you're not worthless. But it does want you to be worth something. And he talks about you're worthy of certain things. Look here in verse 37. In verse 37, but remember this. One of the biggest enemies you'll have in your Christian life is going to be those who know you the best. Because they, they see you at home. They know what you're really like. So that's why that verse right before that, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Because, you see, if you want to serve the Lord and you've got people in the household that don't, well, then you're a natural rebuke to everybody who don't want to serve the Lord. So he says here in verse 30, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, it means that they're not worthy to pay the price. In other words, they can't afford to pay it. Because serving the Lord, we know going to heaven is a gift. Serving the Lord, well, that's different. That's going to cost you. And some people cannot pay that price. They want the victories, but they don't want no battles. You know, they want all those medals to wear. Look at all my medals. But they don't wear. I often get a, a, even a little curious of all these people that are over in North Korea. They haven't had a war in 70 years. And yet, here's all these generals they got, and they already got so many medals on both sides, they can hardly walk around. And I thought, well, where did they get, what battle did they fight? Well, you usually get one if you went to this country, that country, this country, that country, and you get little medals and things like that. They haven't been out of the country. <laughs> they won't let them leave, because if they did, they won't get them back. But it's amazing. Now, where did they get all these medals if they haven't fought any battles? That's the way a lot of Christians are. They want the medals. They want the rewards, but they don't want to do anything to earn them because rewards are earned. And to get those, you have to be able to pay the price. It's like, you know, there's a Porsche. Well, I want that. Can you afford it? No. Then you can't have it. And so that's why he mentions this on here. You're not worthy. It means you can't afford it. Sometimes the kids <laughs> call me up at that. Dad, you... You think I can have this and get, have this and get this car and blah, blah, blah? I said, honey, you can have anything you can afford. You can have anything you can afford. And so I have never signed on a note for my kids. Now, you, I'm not saying you don't have to. You can't if you want to do whatever you want to do. You've got to, make, you've got to work and get what you can afford. Because down the road, you can always count on somebody to bail you out, bail you out. But, and there's not going to be nobody to bail you out. One of these days, daddy's going to be gone, mama's going to be gone. Have fun. But learn how to work. Save a little bit. Do this. So anyway. So he says down here. Look at the very next word. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me. 
not worthy of me. In other words, you cannot afford to follow Christ. Because you want to serve the Lord, then it requires you to discipline yourself. And some people cannot discipline themselves. Remember, we always say there's two forms of discipline. Self-discipline, imposed discipline. Which do you prefer? Can you discipline yourself, or do you have to have somebody discipline you? Always having to get on your case or, you know, wake you up and challenge you and motivate you? Or can you, can you encourage yourself in the Lord? Or do you always have to have somebody encourage you? Pick me up. Well, what if there's nobody? I haven't had a pastor in over 50, 60 years now because I've always been the preacher. Well, who keeps me motivated? The people. No, you gotta, you got to have some strength that you get from the Lord and keep yourself going and always motivated to keep doing what's right. Otherwise, you can wear out. This is why I think sometimes if you don't really love the Lord, you burn out because you're trying to do it and it's not real. It's mechanical. And you're forcing yourself to do something you really don't want to do. i got to go to church today. Well, I don't wake up that way. Man, I'm going to church today. I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for Sunday night. Because I stay challenged up about something like that. And other people say, oh, I hope you don't go long. And he's one minute over. And you'd be surprised. Everybody knows about what time I stop on Sunday morning. What time? What time do I usually stop on Sunday morning? 5 to 12? Pretty close to it, huh? So hopefully when I get through, but you'd be surprised how many, if I was to go one minute over, heads would start turning and say, that clock stop or something? What's wrong with it? So how long have you been here? Well, if you're going to, you want a calendar or you want that? <laughs> one man got up and walked out of my meeting and I said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to shave. I said, why didn't you shave before you came? He says, I did. <laughs> you know, there's always somebody like that. You always got to, anyway, one time I asked this guy, I says, um, would you uh, wake up that person sitting beside you? He says, you put them to sleep, you wake them up. Some people, you just can't win. You know, I feel good today. <laughs> well, maybe it's because I'm still in a jet lag and I haven't, I don't even, I haven't woke up yet. This is all a dream. Well, anyway, wherever we are, you're supposed to serve the Lord, and you know that. But look at the next verse. I want you to see that. In verse 39, he that findeth his wife, I mean, uh, his, uh, he that findeth his life shall lose it. <laughs> oh, that was funny, and not even in planet. And he that loseth, one man says, I regret that I've only got one wife to send to the country. I can't hardly see it. I got tears in my eyes. <laughs> oh, let's see. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I got 15 verses to get to, and I've only got to the first two. <laughs> you know, I'd be surprised with old Warren over here. Here we are. On, now, he has that sweet, innocent look. Don't he have just an innocent, baby-faced look? Even though he's 60 years old, he got that baby-faced look. And everywhere we went, he was always pulled aside. I mean, he just looked guilty about something. I didn't know. There must be something on your record that I don't know about. My, my Bible. Yeah, he had his Bible with him, and uh, the dog came, and the dog sniffed, and next thing you know, they pulled him aside because they smelled some dynamite or smoke. I mean, there was 
some, uh, and believe it or not, in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, that word is dynamite. And uh, that little puppy spelled that dynamite in his Bible. And so he got pulled over for that. And then you got pulled over for something. I don't know what it was, but he was always, we're waiting on him. We're, we're, we were waiting on old dear Warren over here. But, um, but he looked so innocent. But they must have saw something that was just, <laughs> anyway. Connie, have you recovered? You're recovered. What about those girls? Oh, she's going to go up to Grace Farm. And um, anyway, poor John. You, you have no idea, that poor guy. He had three women that he was responsible for. And it was automatic that these three women, they saw every gift shop. Every gift shop. Not the, There goes John, poor John. <laughs> but I think everybody had a good time. And uh, it was a great experience for everybody. And I'll uh, do my best. I kept telling them, I says, now you got to stay focused. you got to stay focused. <laughs> I can't stay focused this morning. I have been like a, a bouncing all around the wall. Somebody Ray used to say, you know, you got the, a, a brain the size of a BB inside of a boxcar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that doesn't make you feel too good. A brain the size of a BB in a boxcar. You know, that's, that's pretty bad. But anyway, take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, start there in verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Now Paul has, you know, run his life. And his course, and he's now getting ready to depart and won't be long before he be with the Lord in heaven. So he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. So he has um, preserved his life. Because whatever you do for the Lord, you never lose. And so that makes every day precious to you, because your life is made up of time. And when you waste time, you're wasting your life. So if you will invest it for the Lord, you're saving your life. And that's what the Lord's talking about. He says, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now, the little thing to remember here, the righteous judge. If you can live your life believing that God is a righteous judge, and He is going to reward you for what you did for Him, you know you're going to win. And you can live with that confidence, and that gives you boldness. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents him. We all have sin on us. God says that he loves us. He hates our sin. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us. He wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect, and none of us are perfect. We've all sinned. We've all come short of God's perfection. And God says you cannot earn eternal life. You cannot work your way to heaven. He says... There's only one way to get to heaven. And most people have heard this. They just don't understand it. Jesus Christ had no sin. He was God in the flesh. He came into this world, lived a perfect life, and voluntarily took our sins and paid for their own cross. He came back from the dead, and God says, all you have to do to go to heaven, will you believe that when Jesus died, he died for you? 
paid for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for them. And the only thing that makes this whole thing work is if you will believe he did it for you. You're saved by grace through faith. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. But you have to believe he did it for you. That's faith. Taking God at his word. And if you'll believe that, he will give you as a free gift everlasting life and you get to go to heaven on what Christ did for you. And understand this. You think about the difficulties when Christ was here and yet he finished the race that was set before him. Endured the cross. When you partake of the bread, you realize what he was willing to go through for us and how he suffered for us and how that he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. And when he shed his blood, he gave his life. He did this. And he says, I suffered for you. And here we are, beneficiaries of this. And God says, now I want you to suffer for them. Take the message to them. And God says, I will reward you, regardless of how difficult it may be. And you may even die for your faith because of what you're doing for the Lord. It will be worth it all because there's a God in heaven that keeps the books. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you right now say, I don't understand it all, but I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And right now I will put my, my trust in him. And if you're making that decision, I'd like to pray for you. But I'm not going to have you forward, not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, say, preacher, I will accept Christ as my Savior right now. And I'd like for you to know it. And I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. So with his bow and eyes closed, is there anyone at all? Say, so yes, pray for me. I will trust Christ right now as my Savior. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly? Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you, man. You can put it down. Anyone else? There's no tricks to it. Just say, that made sense to me, and I want to trust Christ right now as my only hope of going to heaven. Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for giving us the free gift of everlasting life. We pray, Lord, your will to be done in the lives of each person here. And we pray, Lord, your blessings upon the individual who indicated that they would trust you as Savior. By doing so, they become your child for all eternity. And Lord, we ask your blessings upon each person that we want them to realize the importance that whenever the difficulty seems like it's just too much, consider him. Consider Christ and what he was willing to go through as he suffered for us. We're not paying for people's sins. Christ did that. But Father, help us to be willing to get that message to them so that they can have that free gift of everlasting life. So bless today in Christ's name. Amen.